Chris Biddle and welcome to Inside AgriTurf, in which I will talk to those at the heart of the farm and grass machinery industry. Hello and welcome to episode two of Inside AgriTurf, when I will be considering the role of trade associations, particularly during challenging times. You know, when we woke up on New Year's Day this year, full of good cheer and hope and aspirations for the months ahead, little did we know that within weeks, everything would change. We were told to stay at home, offices were closed, factories shut down, travel restricted, and normal day-to-day life was put on hold. But it was also clear that certain elements of the economy had to be kept going, and that included food and food production, which required the support of allied industries such as agricultural engineering, which comprises hundreds of specialist companies up and down the land of small and medium-sized operations, mostly family-owned. Individually, they wear their independence proudly, but in this case they needed a collective voice if they were to put their case to government and other relevant bodies so that they could continue to serve their customers safely in strange operating conditions. And this is where the two major trade associations representing both manufacturers and suppliers and sales and service dealers really had to step up to the plate. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Ruth Bailey, the CEO and Director General of the Agricultural Engineers Association, the AEA, who represent the manufacturers and the suppliers, and by Keith Christian of the British Agricultural and Garden Machinery Association, who looks after the interests of dealers. So many thanks for joining me. And first, Ruth, what has life been like during the last few weeks? Chris, thank you very much for the opportunity to um, to chat today. Very refreshing to be having a, a you know just an open conversation uh, rather than something formal. Yeah, it, it has all changed, as you said. The AEA early on took the decision to work to um, to its full capacity. We've all worked from home. We felt that all our services were were relevant and were deliverable. So so we managed to do that you know quite well. We've included extras we regularly sent out our coronavirus bulletins and we handled lots and lots of individual company inquiries and actually we've had lots of members giving feedback that they applauded what we did um, this was a time when they really really needed us they had specific questions they needed to make sense of what was going on just like everybody did and the AEA stepped up to that challenge and, and members thanked us for doing so. so. So yes, it's been very different. And then of course, our stakeholder engagement, our, all our lines of communication with the rest of members of industry, all our alliances, they all started to kick in. Um, and it, I don't think it's until such a time as this that you actually know that they work or not and the con- connections are in place. But one of the things we really found valuable was our, our the invitation that service dealer gave us to the industry call and that meeting every week and um, both theo and i found that very very valuable well that's good to hear ruth uh, just for the benefit of listeners uh, service dealer magazine decided very early on to host a series of zoom meetings on alternate weeks, one with dealers and one with manufacturers, uh, both of which were attended by Ruth and Keith, who were able to give an update on their conversations and information coming out of government 
and from their members and from other trade associations. Uh, so, so Ruth, how, how are you coping uh, with lockdown from working from home? I'm going a bit stir crazy now, I have to say. I like all the technologies were fantastic. We have Zoom facilities. And I think this sort of engagement where you've, you've just got one-on-one or three or four people, maybe up to six, I think it's great. We're saving money in meetings, in time, in um, emissions and all that good stuff. I do feel now when it gets to a panel of 25 people on the same meeting, that the there's a person presenting and it's a, it's a listen with mother session it really is a it, it loses creativity i think that interaction and that sort of feedback you get from being face to face with people just it it dissipates and you keith down there in worcestershire you escaped the floods earlier in the year how's life been for you we certainly only just escaped the floods it was it was halfway up our flood defense wall uh, from a business point of view, it's been quite interesting. I mean, I was actually at home isolated before the official lockdown. I do have an office at home. I am set up to do everything from home. What it's meant for me personally is that I haven't done any traveling in the, since early March, really. It does give you more time, but the time becomes more regulated. And, and that's what I found that you sort of come into a groundhog day type situation where you're starting at a certain time, having lunch, working on maybe a bit later in the evening, but a, a much more regulated nine to five top type of existence, which I've never been used to. So that was a bit of a shock. Very busy early on in all this, trying to gather information, answer people's questions, in a sense being quite reactive as a trade association and bearing in mind that we are a division within a bigger group that deals with independent retailers. So a lot of our spin-off from a retail point of view comes from that side of the business, which as everybody knows, the high street and the independent retailers have been hit incredibly hard. What we found fairly early on, quite a lot of the garden machinery guys closed straight away and then reopened when they realized they were allowed to. Most of the agricultural machinery dealers stayed open. Everyone I've talked to and know about have been incredibly responsible with social distancing, looking after their staff, and also looking after their customers in the best way they could. What I found in the middle of all this, there was like a two-week lull, like, like the eye of the storm, really. And it went very quiet, which was a bit unnerving. And then we came out of the back end of that one. And I know Ruth was sort of slightly in the same position that we suddenly came back into a return to work type of mode, which was very strange for the garden machinery, ag machinery guys, because they never stopped. So on one side with our buyer independent retail side, we've got all this stuff going on about returning to work, social distancing, labeling masks and all this. And we've been working in an industry that never actually stopped. It sort of seemed irrelevant to us because by that time, our industry was expert at what they were doing, if you like, in a, in a difficult area. So we've been reactive initially. We became more proactive. We've been putting a lot of coronavirus information on our websites and we have a coronavirus hub. So our marketing guys have been working really hard to keep up to date 
and hopefully that's been useful to people but because most of the the big stuff or the most of the questions initially came about because of furlough and that's still an issue now and um as Ruth said, you know, the service dealer video calls are really good. We've been working with the AEA behind the scenes on a lot of things, discussing stuff, trying to come out with joint messaging and things like that. It's actually been really helpful behind the scenes as well. So thanks for that, Ruth. Which brings us really to the nub of the question. What role do trade associations play at challenging times such as these? I guess you two will have talked much more in recent uh, weeks than you do normally. What are your thoughts, Ruth? Yeah, Chris, as I said earlier, I think our, they're fancy words, but our stakeholder engagement really, really kicked in and, and, and proved its worth. Immediately, we were in talks with DEFRA through our uh, collaborations and our partners. Immediately, we were writing to George Eustace, the DEFRA minister, to confirm that we were part of that supply chain, uh, the food supply chain that had to keep going. We wrote with Keith um, to express the, the real importance of grounds care and keeping our green spaces open and and how important it was for mental health and well-being and we're still writing to the government on a very regular basis and receiving replies because that's where the government sees the interface with industry um, it's working with lots and lots of different alliances and it's working with lots and lots of different groupings trade association groups or otherwise to find the mood of industry. Um, so the interface that we provide from members back to government is really important. I think also trade associations need to understand, you know, our information is directly getting information from our members and putting it out in aggregated forms or anonymously, but back out to members. And when you're dealing with something like this, which is a vast unknown, the first thing you want to know is what everybody else is doing as well. Is it just you that's suffering or struggling or not understanding what the government says? And the answer is no, it's not just you, you know, and that's really been quite a, a, an important role that the Trade Association has, has played for its members, I think, during the whole pandemic. We've got a lot of support from our members. Uh, they really step up, they really um, engage with with all our activities. And as I said, we've, we've maintained all our services. The trade association does play that representative role, but never more so than in a pandemic such as this, you know, where it, ha it, it provides that conduit between all the other alliances that are out there and the official bodies, policy decisions, um, all sorts of things like that. And, and again, if you take COVID-19 out of that, Brexit, we're all now moving on to another subject. COVID-19 is still relevant, but can we do something else now for a change? So we're all looking at Brexit and the implications of Brexit, the implications of no extension and the customs plans that, that we're proposing, the side of the EU, what they're proposing. There's always something that's relevant and, and, and is necessary for our members to take stock off um, to run their businesses it's, so information streams are always vital uh, and who would have thought um, just before Christmas that we'd be yearning to talk about Brexit well <laughs> <laughs> we thought we might have some answers on Brexit because whether you liked it or not you know Boris was in charge and he was doing his own he was going to go his way and we were all going to go that way because we had no choice 
but at least we had some direction from somewhere, whether you liked it or not. Oh, great. Uh, Keith, um, Bagma is, a, is part of a group of trade associations, as you said, of independent retailers spread across a number of, of sectors. How do you feel that Bagma's role has been during the last few months? Really, we, we play a more supportive role for industry, supporting our dealers, but uh, as I said earlier, it, it's being reactive to what they want to do. So uh, HR issues, finance issues, things like that. So individually with members, we can deal with that on a one-to-one -one basis because of what we do as a group, I suppose. And individually within BAGMA in the industry, we can find out things for people. I suppose you know, directly supporting people because we have our own bank. We have a lot of members who use our bank and our bank, we're the smallest bank in the UK. Sorry, it's not an advertising session, but we've done about a hundred payment holidays on finance agreements, mostly for vehicles and things. Our legal side is as a member, we have a free um, legal advice and HR advice built into the membership. We don't just use that for our members. If somebody rings up and wants some help, we'll help them if we can. So the legal side of things has been really busy developing risk assessments, you know, COVID responsible areas for businesses that are, that are open and we're, we're going to reopen. A lot of HR issues surrounding furloughing and potentially into the future redundancies holidays how do you deal with holidays when people are being furloughed you know do they need to take holidays so a lot of background legal advice and financial advice we've been able to give and generally supporting the industry as a whole so you know as as uh, the AEA have done as we've done through the um, video calls with service dealer listening to people and trying to find out things and we each pick up different types of information that we, we've been sharing. So that there's a, a commonality in the support that we're all offering the industry. More a supportive role and an individual support to our members. And that's continuing now. Because of our involvement with our group, we've been involved in raising the limit on um, credit cards on machines from 30 pounds to 45 pounds so we're actually involved in that as a group which is interesting because i didn't know that until recently <laughs> so there's an awful lot of things that go on in the background sometimes come out in the fore but usually they're just passed on by government government departments and and ruth would have the same issue that you could a long time working to get this support but actually you don't get any credit for it because it comes out in the public domain and they don't exactly turn around and say, oh, the AEA helped with this or Bagma helped with that. There's an awful lot that we all do that nobody really knows about. It just happens eventually. And there's, there's been a lot of that going on. So and particularly from a retail point of view, recently I've been looking at what we're doing with Enviro to see how it affects people within the machinery businesses and actually getting things swapped over and so we can let people know. So big support role, I think, is the best way of putting it. Yes, that's interesting. Uh, do you get slightly frustrated that much of the work that you do is industry-wide and benefits not only your members, but those that are 
not members. And indeed, are you experiencing any uptick in interest uh, from new potential members at this time, Ruth? Not particularly directly, um, but we have a very good coverage and very, very good support anyway from out there. Usually we say we've got about 80% of the market out there, which is a high level for a trade association to represent. And the members that aren't members, we talk to them regularly. They know us very well. We know them very well. So there are good relationships out there with all industry. I think, to be honest, it's just part and parcel of the work that you do and if it betters industry you go for it because I think one of the things that as a member you would have first-hand involvement first-hand knowledge and you would be first to know about anything that came out so when we're working on issues for example on standards we have gained members in the past because they said they'd had issues with compliance and when you go and see them, they've had issues on something about compliance that we've been working on for the last five years. And our members will have known that through the technical committees and the various working groups that we run. So there's a first hand information level that can't be appreciated and can't be um, accessed if you're not a member. The days where you could just work in isolation, that's gone actually now, you know. I see ourselves battling with the automotive industry for, for, for people. I see ourselves as battling with the aerospace um, for, for innovation funding. So I see ourselves as, as putting the whole picture of precision farming and our technology through robotics and, and, and grounds care and, and what we do with, a, with an environmental and a, you know, and a green element, trying to put us to the top of the table, represents industry rather than just specific members. And I think that's part and parcel of what we do, Chris. So it doesn't, it doesn't bother or frustrate me. And Keith, many smaller companies, when considering whether to join a trade association, will ask the inevitable, what's in it for me? Uh, with Byra, with Bagma, you are able to demonstrate some real tangible benefits in terms of finance and legal advice. But how, how are you finding things in terms of recruiting new members? I think people more interested in getting some help out of what they already paid for, for sure. But the the interesting thing about the membership over the last three three or four months is that I mean, let, let me talk as a group first our, our membership as a group is in excess of four thousand our bagman membership has remained very stable we we always lose some and gain some in a year i think we've signed up five new members in the last couple of weeks but we will lose some as well for different reasons. More recently, uh, a business that has decided to completely change tack and get out of ag machinery, and not because of COVID, just because they see a different future. In, in some respects, it's frustrating because there is so much that we can offer and our, our members pay for us to be there to do what we do. And what we do, um, as is the case with the AEA and most trade associations, benefits the whole of industry. What, what would be nice would be to have more people involved with a, a bigger voice, which we've talked about over the years. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that. We want members, but we are prepared to help people who aren't members. And really, maybe one day they'll join because they see some benefits in it. And for me, I, I've been in this industry, as you know, for a very long time. I grew up in it. I've been around Bagma on and off for a very long time and around the AEA as well. 
which makes me a bit of a strange creature in the industry. I think the way I feel that most of what we do is to support the industry. You know, whether somebody's a member or not, and if they can benefit from it, it's great. It would be nice to have more people putting some money into it to help the industry even more. It's, it's not totally exclusive, but sure, people that are members do benefit from a raft of services, extra help, legal and all that sort of stuff which really can save a lot of money o- over a period of time, you know, and that is an advert. <laughs> well, I'm sure dealers will know where to find the website, Keith. Uh, tell me, everybody's been working in extraordinary circumstances over the past two or three months, trying to work out how to run their business within the guidelines, and this would have put a lot of strain on individuals. What's the mood like out in the industry at the moment, uh, amongst dealers and amongst manufacturers? Anecdotally, there's been some good business done, and I do hear of some dealers that have sold as much equipment as they did during the same period last year. Uh, Is there confidence or are there concerns about issues over which they have no control? What do you think, uh, Ruth? I think it's cautious. Obviously, we cover both agriculture and we cover outdoor power. So maybe there are different nuances if you look at each sector individually. Generally, over the last couple of months, May to June, and and the indications for July are that the corn has been turned, um, orders are on the increase, and things are looking a lot better. Even the the golf sector, which was probably the worst hit, started off back in March looking at um, an April looking at, at decreases in sales of 50% and more. And now even they've turned the corner and are picking things up. So yes, still a decrease, but 25%, 20% decrease. It's not, uh, it's significant. I don't want to underestimate it, but it could have been worse. Um, so I think turnover expectations for the end of the year still remain a bit negative, but better than they could have been. Of course, we've got on the agricultural side, we've got machinery deliveries were in a bit of a downturn, irrespective of COVID-19, because of the wet weather, because of um, people not being able to get on and plant big. So that was quite an that was an expectation of the year anyway. I think we are nervous about prospects, but it's the bigger picture. It's the implications of the agricultural bill. I don't think purchasing power from farmers will have been disrupted too much by COVID-19. But again, it's down to the weather, it's down to the the harvest, it's down to um, how we fare in Europe as to if they can offload the cereal, etc. So it's actually, there are different factors that are now influencing the markets. Also the recession that I think is going to hit the general public. I mentioned earlier, there seems to be in quite a lot of money um, moving around the economy because of the Treasury's actions directly, directly as a result of COVID-19. And we've had holiday payments. Some people have got a bit more money to spend. They've been at home. They've had nice weather. I think those that 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 money that's flushing around the economy, and of course it's a global picture. It's the same in Europe. They've all had measures to cover the COVID-19 crisis. Once those measures start to stop and people start to register that disposable income isn't so as good as it was because it's got to hit home at some point, then they'll have to start making choices. And we have to then start to say, are our products in the must-have choice, must-have category? And whether you're uh, someone who's exhausted in the public sector and you, you fancy a holiday, you then make a choice whether to stay at home in your garden or you make a choice whether to travel 
these are all personal um, choices, but they will be they will affect our our market. So it's cautious, but we're all resilient. And I think I also want to say how the industry has worked tirelessly and really competently sounds patronizing. I don't mean competently as in it's surprisingly competently. I mean really, really well the industry has shown what it's made of, to be honest, and um, how it really came to the table. As Keith said, everybody's now talking about getting back to work and actually we're the guys that have kept going through the whole of this. You know, I clapped farmers on the road when I've been running because I've clapped the nurses and I've clapped the post office guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for all the challenges that COVID and Brexit throw at us, it's it's still the weather, isn't it? Uh, much of it is the weather. And uh, I'll tell you what, to paraphrase, it's the weather stupid rather than the economy. But uh, Keith, with the dealers, uh, most of them have been working either quietly and unofficially, but they've been looking after their customers, haven't they? Uh, uh, the, the mood music amongst dealers, you, you think is, is pretty good? Well, I, I do from the ones I've talked to. I'm sure that nobody should make the mistake that it's been tough for them. And I don't think initially it was that easy. There was a lot of confusion about who could open and who couldn't open. But fortunately, and again, we worked with the AEA on this, we established early on that garden machinery guys and agricultural machinery guys could stay open. That's what the government wanted. But unfortunately, early on, they didn't explain themselves very well. So I think when the dealers realized they could be open, their struggles were really with staff and some chose to stay closed because they couldn't staff the place properly but once they settled down I mean the reports I've got is that business has been booming and the ones that remained open their online business has been incredible service in that and and they arranged themselves really well but as Ruth says it is a very resilient very tough industry most of the companies are privately owned independent businesses and they can make their own decisions, unlike big corporate groups that have to go to committee and everything. So they can react quite quickly to what's going on and they have done. Yeah, I, I think I agree with what Ruth's saying and what you're saying, as always with our industry, the bigger factor is the weather. As somebody described it, you know, they came in to the early part of the year drowning in water and then very quickly ended up in a desert it's quite a massive effect on what we all do generally i think the dealers have been really good and they've benefited from being able to be open and being able to be so flexible uh, you could cut the dealers as well because they've probably kept quite a few people very sane during this crisis you know we talked we talked earlier on about mental well-being and that Anyone who's got a garden with a piece of grass, we all know in this industry that somebody whose grass is getting out of control, they go absolutely nuts. So <laughs> being able to get the mower fixed and the grass cut would have helped an awful lot of people. There we are. Um, we've generally acknowledged that business uh, amongst dealers has been pretty good this year. But are there concerns that stock levels, which have generally been built up, uh, possibly because of Brexit, at the end of last year may come under pressure because obviously many of the factories have had to cease production for a while, which obviously will disrupt supply of whole goods and parts. Uh, Ruth, how are you seeing things going forward? Yeah, I think um, the supply chains hold up, hold up to now as there's probably been residual inventory there, 
but when the manufacturing plants started to close down then you know there was a lag that's going to catch up at some point in terms of supply of goods etc i think probably the dealer end have been um, very adept upselling or selling other product lines if they didn't have availability of stock um, there were lots of stock um, lines in place because we'd been marched up the hill in terms of brexit and so there are a lot of factors that meant that we could withstand fragile supply chain once the manufacturing plants across Europe shut down, across China shut down. The problem is, I'm not sure if that's that's bit yet. I'm not sure if that lag's caught up and we've actually seen the, the actual implications of those shutdowns. Because you'll know as well as I do, manufacturing units are very complex entities. And everybody's working just in time now, not just in case. They're not keeping vast lines of product or component items on the shelves just in case they need them. They're working just in time. And this is hundreds of product lines that are all coming together at one point in time to schedule a product with a particular lead time. So to switch them off and then switch them on again isn't an easy process. And so there will be some implications, I think, down the pipeline. I think one of the measures that manufacturers and dealers will, manufacturers, sorry, will have to look at long-term is probably shoring up their supply chains. A lot of products come from Asia, lithium-ion batteries and components, um, eng a lot of engines come from Asia. Asia was, Asia was first hit, and so the supply of significant and critical components then became disrupted significantly, which meant that manufacturers weren't able to control their assembly lines, they weren't able to control their lead times, and they weren't even able to control their product supply at all. So, so there might be a, a looking at how we bring supply chains closer to home, or look at alternative supply chains I'm not sure those are, but those are big decisions that I'm sure that our members will be looking at. I, I know you've worked in China for some time and that's a whole new conversation about what uh, place China will play in, uh, in the world economy, but we'll have that another day. Uh, Keith, uh, as far as the dealers are concerned, I've certainly heard uh, some dealers uh, say that they are finding shortages of both product and of spare parts at the moment. Are, are you getting much feedback on that? I'm not, not a huge amount of feedback, um, but probably heard what you've heard from maybe even the same people. You know, in the industry, particularly when there is a big demand, people will start running out of stock and there will be delays. And that then might shift it to another brand or something. But some of those, um, should we just call them lesser brands or lesser well-known brands, might themselves not be so readily available. So... Yeah, so some of the main brands might be short of stuff for a period of time. I think it's really exactly what we've said. It's a longer term issue where we start playing catch up. Whether we can get through the next six weeks of the summer season for the outdoor power equipment guys uh, remains to be seen. But like all consumer things, a lot of people buy stuff early. Then the demand drops off. So hopefully it'll be okay. But running into later in the year in the early part of next year there may be some issues i think hopefully the autumn product season outdoor power equipment handheld products and everything else will be a strong one because that product should all be you know stacked up waiting to go soon so hopefully it will be and we'll have a full season of selling difficult to predict really and then on top of that and 
don't think we're going to go into that in detail, but then you've got Brexit, which might create its own supply problems as well. We've been avoiding it because we had something else to talk about. But Ruth's absolutely right. That's another thing that's sort of rearing its ugly head on the horizon again. Cause more problems than COVID-19 did. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and and well, as you get, say... We'll get a vaccine for COVID-19 <laughs> one day. We won't get a vaccine for Brexit. Ah, there's a thought. There's a thought. Now, look, we're a, we're a very social industry uh, and we love a good show. And we love our exhibitions and, and the dealers love their county shows. And they've been wiped off the calendar this year and, and, and still not there. What, what do you feel is going to happen on, as far as shows and exhibitions are concerned? There's, there's a lot of people keeping their powder dry as far as what's happening for the beginning part of next year. What do you think about shows and exhibitions and, and meetings in general? Because you had to install your president virtually in, in April. I mean, our AGM went quite well. In fact, it went very well, to be honest. We, we got the order of business done virtually and, and, and technology worked really well. It was a shame we had to cancel our, our, um, our own conference. The conference was to be held on the 31st of March. I think we hung out until the middle of March before we actually cancelled. As an organiser, you're looking at balancing the costs and the loss, not putting on a show between the duty of care you've got to staff to the attendees uh, and following government guidelines. Because the problem with shows in the first quarter of next year is that it's a fluid thing, this, and we might get a spike in, in the winter months, but we might even get a, a, va a vaccine. If I were the organisers, I would be looking at social distancing measures. I would be planning for every eventuality but I would be planning that these shows go ahead. The AEA has fantastic respect for the shows. They're an absolutely vital part of showcasing a product, of meeting um, customers, of looking at a wider audience. Generally, it's, a, it's an essential part of marketing, but it's also a very high cost on a marketing budget. So it's got to be, that money's got to be used wisely. So, um, and they've got to see a return on investment. Whether people attend shows, that's going to be personal choice, I think. And it's, as I've just said, it's a fluid show. Virtual shows, as far as we can see, or as far as the, the mood that I'm hearing from, not everybody, but certain people who've talked to me about it, they don't deliver. They certainly don't deliver for a, a cost. And what they found is that the customers pop in, pop out, but they don't engage. You haven't got that captive draw and that captive conversation, which is all important on a and show. And you can't kick the tyres. <laughs> One of the things that, and I know it's not an advertising exercise, just as Keith has said, but I do think, you know, outdoor options, working demos, we've got Tillage Live. And as I've just said, as an organiser of a show, you know, it's the 23rd of September, but it's 30 hectares with 1,500 people. We believe we can socially distance and we'll watch the government guidelines. So at the moment we're saying, yes, it's going ahead. Excellent. But we have got a duty of care. Now, it might be the first show that's happening this year because yeah. outdoors, we might be able to gather. We might not be able to gather in such numbers. We just don't know. But at the moment, we're still saying it's going ahead. Indoor venues later on next year. Again, it's so fluid, Chris, that you can't be in a position to say yes or no the, whether an event will go ahead. But I do say that the shows that we have are really important to what we do. 
And I guess, Keith, that uh, a lot of dealers have really missed their local and regional shows because it's their mm. marketplace, isn't it? It's their, it's their place where they show off their wares, they press flesh and they socialise and so on. Right, so it's a big part of what we do, which is our face-to-face -face contact with, with members and potential members. And um, people call it networking, but I just like to, you know, it's nice to go and see people, talk to them at a show. I mean, a good example is the Cornwall show. We've got something like 20 members exhibit at the Cornwall show, and there's something like 36 machinery dealers exhibit there in total. So... And we will attend as many of the county shows as we can. So, you know, apart from the main sort of manufacturer supplier exhibitions, the county show circuit is really important to us. And as you say, to members, to dealers, to machinery dealers, and they're, they're institutions in their own right. People really, really look forward to them. I mean, if you can believe that in Cornwall, the last part of the UK that you can get to can get 180,000 people at a three-day show. It's amazing. You know, one of the big ones we miss is the Royal Highland Show. Um, again, a huge number of people. And they cancelled quite early and actually gave all the money back to their exhibitors. Said, we're not doing it this year. Here's your money back. We'll do it next year. They've just opened a brand new £5 million pavilion there. The Royal Island show last month was going to be the first time they could use it. So the whole show scene is devastating for everybody. It, it's a huge amount of revenue in some places. It'll come back. Of course it will. My concern is that we're going to run into the new year, the first quarter of the new year, with a load of rearranged shows and people are going to have to make choices about which shows they go to or which shows they exhibit at. Bit concerned that it might be spreading people out so much might make some of the attendances a bit thin on the ground, but a difficult one and one the industry will miss, but we'll come back to it. And I think the companies that said we're not doing it this year, we'll do it next year, probably made the right decisions because who knows how long we're going to be in trouble for. Uh, and as Ruth very well made the point, we are an outside industry mm. and uh, it's happening so fast at the moment in a way that there's this, this dichotomy between protecting health and the, the, the COVID and getting the economy going. And um, I mean, what we're seeing even this last weekend with the introduction of, of, of cricket and other sports um, compared with where we were just a few weeks ago. I mean, what's happening today may well not be happening in a few weeks time and then who knows so look thank you both for that very interesting trawl through the state of the industry today and, and before we wrap up i would like to ask whether you've had the time given the fact that you're not traveling as much and you may have had a bit more spare time on your hands which you might disagree uh, whether this has given you the chance to uh, take up any extra hobbies or interests um, away from your computer desk and away from zoom uh, no, because so much was locked down earlier on. I, I, I ride motorbikes and do a bit of off-road trials riding and stuff. Got back to that now. I was playing rugby at the beginning of March. That all had to stop. So a lot of those activities and outside interests and even just going to the pub have stopped. And we've got into this much more regimented day. Uh, unfortunately, I've put on the classic COVID stone. <laughs> 
sitting in your office at home and not not even running around to the car and up the stairs in the office and chasing around everywhere it's surprising how much that helped your general fitness so now we've got to be more self-motivated to keep trim and slim you know <laughs> but i don't go running like ruth so uh well yeah ruth i know that you're a very keen runner does this yeah. just mean that you've put mile, more miles under your belt I'm a big disappointment to myself, I'm afraid, Chris. Um, yeah, I, um, I trained for two marathons this year. One was March, one was May, both cancelled. And of course, I like to run with friends. I like to run with a club, all of which has been completely restricted. And I hope to keep the yeah. momentum going, but sadly I didn't. It, anyone who knows me knows it's, it's running or gardening or cricket. My garden, I'm afraid it's a bit of a fourth bridge, you know, I, get one bit done and then move on to the next and when I've turned around the bit that I thought I'd done is needing doing again and <laughs> um, but I do love my garden so that that's been nice because we've had nice weather and it's we've been outside and um, uh, and cricket oh my word <laughs> last yes. summer who would have thought we were where we were last summer and this year you know I'm a test match girl and I know it hasn't gone to plan with the windies yet but oh boy it's um, but even so listening to test match special out in the garden oh, this weekend i just thought that normality in some way has, has been has been restored oh, and, and the british summer has long been because i even saw a, a cricket match up on the downs above surrey uh, this weekend and there was hordes of people there uh, oh, kids running around it was wonderful well look to you both thank you very very much we've covered a lot of ground that there's a lot more we could cover of course because this is a big and diverse industry which uh, is in sort of business to business but it's also business to consumer and so everything is it's, it's kind of generalized but i think we've got a good flavor of of how the industry's feeling how the you as associations are coping and uh, some of the ways forward and might i just lastly say ruth good luck with tillage because as you quite rightly say that might well be one of the first public events that go and good luck to you if it does so thank you both very much indeed okay thanks. thank you very much chris so there we are we've covered a lot of ground and taken the temperature of the industry at this very challenging time and i really would like to thank ruth and keith for their candor their honesty and straightforward answers to some of the questions which many people within the industry will be asking themselves i'm sorry if the audio was slightly flaky at time recording over zoom is not the ideal but i hope it didn't detract in the coming weeks i will be covering a number of topical subjects including robotics in the garden where it is becoming increasingly popular and in agriculture where engineers are still searching for ideal solutions to a diminishing labor pool so i'm chris biddle many thanks for joining me and this is inside agriturf <laughs>